0: It is the Memorial Day weekend, and we just wanna take a, a moment here at the, the, the front before I get into the word today to just, uh, we want to make sure we remember and that we honor all of those that have fallen for this great country. Uh, I am so thankful to be in a country where we have the freedoms that we have to do exactly what we're doing today for one of them, to be able to stand here without fear of prosecution or someone coming in here and telling us we can't do this it's incredible the freedoms we enjoy. And those freedoms started 200 and some odd years ago and they continue because of the people that made the ultimate sacrifice for this country. and for, So that you and me can enjoy the freedoms that were purchased for us. And uh, it's so great to know that there are people standing between us and the enemy that would want to, uh, to take those freedoms away. And we would be remiss if we did not remember those people. Many of you probably have family members that have given their lives and, and, and died in battle or in the military in some way. And we are so thankful for those people. And uh, I I did not grow up in a military family, but living here in Augusta has given me such an incredible appreciation for the people that serve in our military and that have uh, obviously paid the ultimate price so that we can do what we do today. And I just encourage you over today and tomorrow to make sure you take some time to to honor those people that have uh, given their lives so that we can be here and do what we do and enjoy the freedoms. This, This is not a perfect country by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a pretty great country. And we are very blessed to be part of it. So God bless you guys, and God bless the people that, that went before us. And I just wanted to mention that before we get going today, but uh, I am gonna get in the word, and I hope you're ready for it, because I have a word for you today. And uh, if, if you were here last week, uh, I preached out of Romans seven, which is the chapter that shows us or, or confirms to us that there is a sin nature that lives in us, uh, that is prevalent and active in our life. And uh, it's, I titled the message, The Enemy Within, because it actually is our flesh nature that lives in us. But today I wanna talk to you about something, another entity that lives inside of us. We're gonna go from chapter seven of Romans, now we're gonna talk about chapter eight, which is uh, one of the best chapters in all of the Bible. In fact, I'm gonna read my text first, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. Again, as we honor God's word together, just by reading his word. Uh, I'm gonna talk a lot out of Romans 8 today, but my text is out of verses 9 through 11. This is the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He said, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. You're seeing a theme here. He's talking about the spirit of God that lives in us. Last week was the enemy within. Today, we're gonna talk about the ally within. and We praise God for that ally that he gave us, amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word because your word is what transforms us through the power of your spirit. So, Lord, would you do your work in our hearts, God? Have your way over these next few moments that we have together for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Next time you stand, it'll be because we're finishing. So. Uh, you know, it's no coincidence that today is actually Pentecost Sunday, too, which is wonderful. It's, the, it's, it's 50 days after Easter, and uh, it is commemorating the time in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit was sent to the earth to dwell in God's people, which is exactly what Romans eight talks about, about the spirit of God living in us. So I'm really excited to share this message today. Uh, I'll start with a quick analogy here a quick story. Uh, a couple of few years back, uh, the mosquitoes in our backyard were worse than normal. They're always bad in Augusta, but they were worse this year for some reason. And, uh, it was annoying and frustrating and I hate mosquitoes. They are, they are definitely demonic. And, uh, wanted to get rid of them, but you know, I didn't really wanna spend the money to call my pest company and have them come spray and all that, you know, because you don't even know if it's gonna work, whatever, but uh, after, after a while of resisting, I finally gave in and I called them just to see. I said, hey, I just wanna see what it's gonna cost, what it would cost to have you guys come out and spray, and they looked at my account and they said, oh, Mr. Summers, you're, your plan you have with us already includes that. All we need for you to do is to call us and notify us and let us know you need, your, uh, you need sprayed, and I said, oh, good. Well, let this call serve as the notification that I would like to have you come spray for mosquitoes. And they came out and it was wonderful. Uh, It actually worked really well. So I was very thankful for that. Turns out I had a power that I didn't know I had. And I'm sure you know where I'm going with this because we also have a power that too oftentimes we don't know what we have inside of us. And that's what Romans chapter eight talks about, is the power that is within us, living by the power of the Spirit. But before I get into Romans eight, I'm gonna recap Romans seven for you in case you weren't here last week or maybe you just forgot. Uh, last week I explained how many of us, even as Christians, we live lives of defeat, where we live a little defeated in life because we really don't understand what's going on on the inside of us. We lack understanding sometimes. And I explained how that uh, the influence of sin in the life of the believer is very, very present. That just because you become a Christian, you've converted your life to Jesus, you've given him your life, doesn't mean that the sin nature inside of you goes away. It's actually still there. Paul talks about it, multiple times in Romans seven about the sin living in me that it causes me to do what I don't wanna do and the things I wanna do I don't do because of the sin living in me as a believer. And how important it is that we understand that the sin nature is something that is part of our DNA. It's something that, was, that is inerrant in us because of sin coming into the world all those years ago through Adam and Eve. Now it's part of every human being when we're born. We're born into sin. And we have to understand that sin and the path to victory starts with understanding what's going on inside of us and realizing how miserable and desolate we are, which is the words Paul used at the end of Romans 7. He says, who will save me from this body of death? And he gives us the conclusion. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one that helps us. But now we move from the the enemy within us to now we're gonna talk about the ally within us which is Romans eight. Romans eight has been called by many people the best chapter in all the Bible. It is definitely one of the top ones. It is one of the most hope-filled, inspiring, encouraging chapters in all the Bible. Easily some of the greatest truths ever uttered for Christians is in this chapter. No matter what you're struggling with, chances are you can find something in Romans eight to encourage you. If you're struggling with feeling condemned, Romans eight reminds us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're feeling defeated, Romans chapter eight reminds us that you are more than a conqueror through Christ. If you're feeling alone, Romans eight reminds us that you are part of the family of God. You've been given a spirit by which you can cry, Abba, Father, you can call him your dad. And that he's promised to never leave us, never forsake us. Nothing can separate us from his love. That's a promise from Romans eight as well. And if you're going through trial or trauma or tribulation, we're reminded that God works for the good in all things for those who love him. So there's just tons and tons of really great truth in Romans eight that encourages us. And trying to give you all the information out of Romans eight in one message is like trying to sit down and eat everything on a buffet in one sitting. Unless you're one of those competitive professional eaters, you can't do that. And uh, we're not gonna try to do that today, but I am gonna give you some really great truth that's gonna help I think follow up from Romans seven to give us some understanding about what else is going on inside of us and God's plan for us. And I'm gonna start with the most foundational truth that everything from Romans eight springs out of. And that is very, very simply that if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He dwells inside of you. The Bible is very crystal clear that we have the Spirit of God in us when we become Christians. And how do you know if you're a Christian? because I don't wanna assume everybody here is or everybody watching online is, to know you're a Christian is that John 3, 16, the best text in all the Bible, when it's personal for you, when Jesus said that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him, and believes there are means to trust him, to give your life to him, will not perish but have everlasting life. So if you believed in Jesus, you've put your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you've decided to live your life for him, his spirit, at that moment, he puts his spirit in you. You have the spirit of God living in you. The first verse of my text verse confirms it in Romans 8, 9. It says you are not controlled by your sinful nature, you are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. How do you know if you have the spirit of God living in you? Remember, those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So if you belong to Christ, you have the spirit of God in you. He confirms it in Ephesians 1:13. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. Thank God even us Gentiles can be saved if we believe the good news. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Praise God. And one more just for good measure, 1 Corinthians six 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. So your body is literally a house for the Spirit of God to live in, to reside in. You are not your own anymore. He lives in you. And so if there's, if there's any doubt at all in you that maybe, I don't know if the Spirit of God lives in me, I can tell you today, if you want to live for God, if you want to trust Jesus with your life, if you want to serve him and be saved, I can tell you the Holy Spirit lives in you. Because if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you don't even want those things. You can't want to be close to God. You can't want to serve God. You can't want to live for God if His Spirit's not in you, because Paul says it very clearly in Romans eight and verse seven. He says the mind governed by the flesh is actually hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So if you're if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you can't even submit to God. You can't. You're hostile against Him. You're wanting to have your own way. The the Holy Spirit is the power of God in us to help us to live. For him very simply put and chapter 7 is about the power of sin in our life chapter 8 shows us that we have the antidote to that power of sin in our life and it's a beautiful beautiful thing if you're a follower of Jesus you have more living inside of you than what you see in Romans 7 you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you but how does that look because just because we have the Spirit of God in us doesn't mean that it's easy to walk out this faith Anybody that says living the life of faith is easy isn't doing it right because it is, a, it is very, very challenging for us in life to live out this life. In fact, in many ways, your life is harder living out faith than it would be to just be hostile towards God because if you don't care about God, you just do whatever feels good. You just you live by that mantra of humanism that if it feels good, you do it. If I'm not hurting anybody else, there's no big deal. And when you live by faith, you're actually not living for yourself anymore. You're living for God. You're living trying to submit your life to the Holy Spirit who's guiding you in ways that will keep you true to God's word, which is actually more difficult in a lot of ways because our flesh nature that we learn about in Romans 7 doesn't want to do that. It's resistant to that. It's, in fact, it's very, very resistant to it. So having the Holy Spirit in you causes you to have to make a choice. You have to choose There's two entities living inside of you. You have the flesh nature from Romans 7, and you have the Holy Spirit from Romans 8. But it's up to us to choose who we are going to surrender our life to. Are you going to surrender to the sin nature that's in you, or are you going to surrender to the Spirit of God that's in you? It's choices. It'd be nice if it just, God, when when he came to you and came inside of you like that, that it was just easy. It was just all of a sudden you, you just wanted to serve God and everything you did was honoring to him and you didn't even have a desire for the stuff of the flesh. But that's not how it works. We have to choose him. When we understand his word, we have understanding of who he is and, and what his expectations is for us, then we have to choose that every day. We have to choose that every hour of every day for him in our life. So who has preeminence in your life? One thing that's very interesting to me is that the, the, the basis of this challenge in our life, having to make this choice, there's, it, it's, it's kind of revealed through Romans 7 and 8. There's a glaring difference between these two chapters, a huge difference. In, in Romans 7, the words I and me, by my count, are used about 44 times. In one chapter, I and me, which is interesting because that's also the ones talking about the sin nature, the flesh, the, nature, the flesh nature that's in us. In contrast, Romans 8 mentions the Holy Spirit 20 times, more than any other chapter in all the Bible, which is another reason this chapter is so great. So you see what's happening there. When you, you talk about the flesh, it's all about me. It's all about I. It's all about my needs, my desires, my selfishness, what I want. When you're talking about the Spirit, it's about what he wants. It's about surrendering to him. It's about living for him, not living for myself, but living for him. So we wanna live Romans eight more than we wanna live. Romans seven gets us to Romans eight, praise God. And that's his plan for each one of us. But again, we have to decide. It's interesting because Romans 12, which is another great chapter in the Bible, tells us that we are to be transformed. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. That's what transforms us, is making the choice to serve him and not to serve myself. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we do have an ally within us, but it's our choice. We have to make the right choices, and so what I wanna do today is I wanna give you uh, three scenarios of choices we have to make that we see in Romans eight in our life, okay? There's obviously a lot more than this, but uh, these are the ones that I feel like the Lord put on my heart to give you guys today, okay? Choose this day, As, as Joshua said, He said, choose this day who you will serve. But for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And I hope that's your choice today too. So choose this day. You have to choose between freedom and bondage. Now I know you'd look at that and say, well, that's easy. I choose freedom. (laughs) I think we would all choose freedom if we're just picking words here, but not so fast. Because freedom is actually the more difficult of these two to choose. Freedom is the tough one here. The default for our life is to live for ourselves, which actually leads us to bondage. Freedom is actually the difficult one. See, I shared last week that Christians can actually live in bondage to sin their whole life. You can be in bondage. That's what Romans 7 talks about. The fact that we can be in bondage to sin even though we are Christians because you have to choose not to let that sin nature in you rule. Not to let it have its say, but to reject it. The power of that sin nature has been defeated in your life but you could still choose to let it enslave you. You can be a slave to that if you live for yourself, and the difficult path is actually the freedom that we wanna live because the freedom that we look for forces us to reject the things we want, the things the flesh wants, and actually live a life of surrender and submission to the Holy Spirit. So it's actually more challenging to live in that freedom, but living that way is what actually brings freedom into our life. So let's look at that freedom. It's in Romans 8 the first two verses of Romans 8. We're gonna go back up to the top of the chapter. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, praise God, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. That's the freedom that Jesus paid for us to have. His spirit sets us free from that spirit of sin and death that is also dwelling inside of us. We are set free from it. The power of it has been broken. But it's still up to us to choose which one we are going to be given to in our life. And of all the beautiful verses in the Bible, this one's got to be close to the top of the list because it says that there's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. The reason this is so beautiful is because every one of us that has wanted to live our life for Jesus understands the guilt and the weight of condemnation. Every one of us. We know exactly what it feels like to feel condemned in your walk. In fact, Christians are more likely to feel condemned than people that aren't Christians because we're the ones that are wanting to actually live for God. And when you want to live for God and you see how much, how often you fall short and you mess up, the tendency for us is to condemn ourselves, to feel really guilty and bad and not really want to forgive ourselves. And what that does is it actually puts us in bondage. I love that this verse says there's no condemnation. It doesn't say there's just a little bit of condemnation. It doesn't say there's not much. There's not as much as there used to be, no. It says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Amen. praise God. But here's, here's the thing, church. We know that when we, let's say you, you messed up. You did something you know is contrary to God's word. And you know, if you know the word at all, you know that God is faithful and just to forgive us when we ask him to forgive us, right? We know that he forgives us. Is there a waiting period for him to forgive us? No way. It's instant. It's immediate. When we ask him, he separates it as far as the east is from the west. The sin is gone. But what happens typically, especially if it's a big mess up, we beat ourselves up for a while. Because in our minds, that seems more spiritual. Well, I feel more bad for my sin because so, I'm really Spiritual. And it makes us feel like we're doing something, like I'm paying some penance of some sort because that's what spiritual maturity looks like. But the reality, church, is that when we beat ourselves up, when we've already asked God to forgive us, all that is is a spirit of religion working in you. All that is is an evil spirit, that is the flesh nature working in you, trying to keep you from receiving that no condemnation that God wants to give you. And why does it happen? Because you have the sin nature still in you. And the sin nature inside of you hates the Spirit of God inside of you so much it's willing to make itself suffer just so you don't experience the freedom that God wants you to experience. That's how much it hates it. You have to understand the battle that is going on inside of you. That sin nature that, come, that, that is something that is, is brought into you and it's, its origination is from the enemy of your soul. Okay? It comes from Satan, but it's in your DNA. So a lot of times, Satan doesn't even need to do anything. He can sit back and watch you beat yourself up. And some of us have been living in condemnation from mistakes we made 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. That you're living in this, you feel like you just have to keep beating yourself up so that you don't do this again. And God's saying, I've forgiven you so long ago, and by you not forgiving yourself and moving on, you're actually living in that religious spirit that is completely contrary to the word of God. It is completely the opposite of what God's heart is for you. Some of you just need to let it go. You just need to let it go. And I know the 10, I am the poster child for beating yourself up. I mean, you all have to get in line behind me if you wanna talk about the kings of that, okay? So I'm not talking to you and telling you to act like me. But I've also learned from the word that beating yourself up doesn't do anything. In fact, it doesn't make you not do it. It makes you put more focus on it which is the exact opposite of what you actually need to do. You don't need to focus on that, you need to let it go. Because that's what God does. And so we need to do the exact same thing in our life. Often God forgives us long, long before we ever forgive ourselves, church. There is nothing noble about not forgiving yourself. There's nothing noble about beating yourself up because it doesn't do any good. Our job is to know the truth to believe it, and to walk in it. When we receive his forgiveness and we forgive ourselves, you know what happens? It actually activates the power of God in your life. See, we think if we beat ourselves up, it'll keep us more spiritual, when in reality, when we let it go and we release it, it actually activates the power of God in us. The the power of sin over us is broken when we let it go. When we hang on to it, we're in bondage to it. But when we let it go, There's no condemnation, there's no condemnation. And I can actually, I'm freed to surrender myself to the Spirit of God more in my life. So he can be the one in power in my life and not anything else. One of the biggest reasons we stay in bondage to sin in our life is because our strategy to defeat it just kinda stinks. It's just not good. Either we think we need to beat ourselves up or we think we need to not think about it. That's a strategy that doesn't work either well, I'm just not gonna think about that, that thing that, that I really wanna do or that thing that I just did yesterday. I'm just not gonna think about it. And we all know what happens when you try not to think about something. You think about it. We'll do a little, little uh, experiment here. Do not think about white fluffy dogs right now. Don't do it. Do not think about them. Whatever you do, do not think about white fluffy dogs. <laughs> I don't know what's behind me, but everybody's kind of looking at the screen. But you know what happens when when you start trying to not think about something? It actually makes it more appealing. You actually can start to obsess about it. You can start to obsess about it over and over. And what it does, instead of turning you against it, it actually turns you towards it. Whatever you're looking at is that's where you're going to go. That's the direction you're going to go in your life. It's about knowing the truth and being mindful of the things of the Spirit. Uh, Verse five out of Romans eight. Let's read that verse. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. You will live according to what your mind is set to. I wanna say that again. You live according to what your mind is set on. Where your mind goes, that's how you're gonna live. Don't focus on that thing. God doesn't want you to be obsessed with your shortcomings and your sins. He wants you to be obsessed with him. The way to defeat those things is not to focus on them, it's to focus on him. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect. But I can tell you, church, when I mess up now, I'm getting better every year at forgiving myself quicker and quicker and quicker and letting it go. And an amazing thing is happening. I can feel it, it's setting me free more and more and more where I used to just beat myself up and think, man, I can't believe I did that again. And I'm telling you, I'm a Yankee. I do a lot of things I shouldn't do. But I've learned to let those things go. And I'm walking in more freedom than ever because of that. And that's the plan of God for us. It's why it's so important for us to forgive ourselves and move on. There's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. If Jesus forgives you, he's more important than you. If he forgives you, you can forgive you. Amen? Amen. Amen. The next choice we have to make is between trust and fear. Trust and fear. Another easy one, right? Oh, I wanna trust, I don't wanna live in fear, I'd rather trust, I'll choose that one. Well, maybe not. Because trusting the Spirit of God in you is actually much harder than just living in fear. Living in fear is actually really easy. It's super easy, and many of us are doing it right now. Living in fear of something. Many of us choose to live in fear every day over trusting him because it's actually a lot easier. Partly because I understand my fear. It makes sense to me. I know why I fear not having enough money because I know what would happen if I don't. I know why I fear for my kid's safety because what if something happens to him? I know why I fear. I know it makes sense to me but, I, but trusting God is a whole thing that's mysterious. I don't even know exactly what that looks like. It's hard to understand completely, so it's just easier for me to, try, to fear because the fear will actually become this toxic comfort zone in our life. Many, 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 many Christians live in fear all day, every day, and have no intention of letting that fear go and trusting God because it's a comfort zone. Staying in fear keeps me sharp. It keeps my senses sharp. Helps make sure I'm on my P's and Q's. So I understand that, so I have to live that way. Trusting, I actually have to get out of my comfort zone to trust God, because I actually have to take my hands off of it and not have control. And that's tough, that's tough to do. We all like our comfort zone. I mean, I'm, I'm loud and proud that I like my comfort zone. I like predictability, I like my, my stuff in order, I like to know what's coming up, I like to know what's happening, I like to, a predictable life. But let me tell you something, if you're gonna live by the spirit living in you and not by the flesh, It's not gonna be that way all the time. Trusting God is mysterious because you don't always know how it's gonna go. But your faith is not in the results, your faith is in God. And it takes a level of maturity to get to that place. And unfortunately, too many of us are completely content to not ever get there because we don't really want to. I I want my fear, I want my anxiety, I want my worry, I want that because that I understand. That makes sense to me, it actually makes me comfortable when I can be freaking out about my kids, or about my job, or about my education, or about my health, or about my kids' health, or somebody in my life, when when I'm worried about that, I actually feel energized. It's a weird, toxic comfort zone that we have. But when we see the words trust or fear, we would all say, oh, I wanna trust. Well, it's a lot of work to trust God. It takes a lot of work, it takes time too. It It takes an intentionality about trusting him. We're not called to fear, we're called to trust. Romans 8, 15 and 16. Let's look at those two verses. He says, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So we have not been given a spirit of fear, but that doesn't mean we can't subject ourselves to it. The fear that we have in our life, the anxiety, the worry, never from God. Right there it is. That spirit of fear does not come from him. It never will. It comes straight from the pit of hell. Yet we indulge it, we entertain it, and even embrace it in our life. And it's an abomination, church. And it should break our heart. I know we deal with it. I I deal with some anxiety in my life, but it breaks my heart. I sure am not gonna embrace it and say it's just okay. When things are going good, yeah, we can feel like we trust God, but it's when the suffering comes is when we find out if we really do. And when suffering comes... The tendency is to just go to the spirit of fear. And that verse I read says that we are God's children, that we have a spirit that allows us to call him a father. But can I tell you, being part of God's family, (laughs) it doesn't exclude us from suffering. It actually ensures that we will suffer. Because the next verse, after verse 16, is verse 17. Let me read that to you. Now if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, that's good. If, everyone say if. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. Oh, how I wish he'd left that last part off of that verse. The first part was really great. But he says, if you're gonna be my children, if you're gonna be in my family, the only way is for you to share in the sufferings of Christ. And if you're a Christian today and you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that that's true. You know that being a Christian actually brings a level of suffering into your life because you're having to deny your flesh. You're having to not do just whatever feels good. You're having to not just live for yourself. You're actually serving God and following God and trying to follow this mysterious God that sometimes we don't know exactly what he wants. So there's some suffering there. And he says, you are my children if you share in the sufferings in order that you may also share in his glory. That's pretty cool. To be able to share in his glory in our life. And you know, when you talk to atheists or people that just don't want to be Christians and don't really want to believe in God, if you if you follow any of that at all, any of, the, any of the guys that that try to have discussions about all that and try to convert people, you know that the biggest issue people have with converting to Christianity is that we say that he's a loving a God that loves us and died for us. If he's so great, why is there so much suffering in the world, all right? That is by far the number one question. And I can tell you, the answer is actually very, very easy. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't, make everything just honky dory. But the answer, the character of God and why they're suffering to me is pretty easy. He allows suffering because he wants us to trust him. He allows suffering because suffering is meant to draw us to him. How many of you know when things are going good, you can kind of just be like, yeah, God, I'm good. High five him and keep going. It's when things aren't going well that all of a sudden, God, I need you. I'm crying out to you, God. I need your help. The suffering in our life is what draws us to him. Think back of your life to your life and the times where you know God really met you. Chances are 99.9% of the time it was coming from suffering. Because if things are good, you're like, yeah, I'm good. You might say a quick prayer. You might you know, give God praise. You might say a little Christian ease. But other than that, it's easy for us to just kind of go on and do our thing. It's the suffering in my life that's drawn me closer to God. And he wants us to be close to him a lot more than he wants us to be suffer-free. That's his, that's his goal for us. Now, obviously, there's an aspect to God that he's mysterious, he's sovereign, he's above all, his thoughts are higher than ours could ever dream of being, so the, there's, there's other aspects to why he allows suffering that we'll never understand, but we don't have to understand. The reality is, though, he allows it in our life because he wants us to trust him, and we can trust him because one of the verses, the greatest verses of hope in all the Bible is also in Romans 8, which I shared a little bit earlier, but I'm gonna share it again. It's Romans 8:28. one of my favorites, it says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Now pay attention here. Who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things God works for the good. Do you know as great as that verse is, it actually is kind of promising us that there's gonna be suffering? Because what he only has to work the good out of situations that aren't good. If a situation's good, he doesn't have to work the good. When situation's not good, that's when we go to God and say, God, let me see the good you're doing in this. We don't have to ask him that when things are good. If I just got a huge raise at work, I'm not going to God and saying, God, help me to find the good in all this extra money. What am I gonna do? We're not crying out to him for, the, for that when things are good. We're crying out when things aren't good. God, it's not good, can you show me the good? So he's telling us here, hey, there's gonna be suffering, there's gonna be tough times, but I'm gonna work the good in it. And that's beautiful, but it's also a promise that there's gonna be suffering. And we're gonna have to choose, we're making a choice, You gonna trust him or you gonna be in fear? You gonna trust him or you gonna trust yourself? It's so wonderful that he promises to bring the good, but here's the thing, church, with this verse. We have to let him define good. We have to let him define good. Because I know what I think good is in every situation. I think it's me getting my way. I think it's everything just working out perfect with a bow on top by this afternoon. That's not always God's good. Good comes in many different ways. Sometimes good is a hot fudge Sunday on a hot summer afternoon where it's just good. And it's got some peanuts on top of it, maybe some whipped cream and a cherry. It's just good. Everything about it's good, except for the aftermath, but we don't worry about that part. It's good. Or a perfect vacation day. Something that's just, everything about it is just so good. Sometimes God works the good out that way. Sometimes it's a little more delayed. Sometimes it's the good of like putting money into an IRA or a savings account, where in the moment you're actually having to suffer a little bit because you're taking money that you've earned and setting aside like you didn't earn it. But you're waiting because later, then it's going to be good. Because then you're going to have money that you're not even having to work for anymore. It's just going to keep coming. So it's delayed good. Sometimes that's the good God does in our life. Sometimes the good is like the good of a surgery where You're not doing good at all and you have to have surgery and you're actually worse for a little bit so that you can get better. Sometimes good gets worse before it gets good. So God will do that sometimes too. That's not fun because when things get worse and you're looking for the good and you're like, God, what are you doing? And then later it's good. But then there's a fourth kind of good too. This is the one we really struggle with. This is the good that Paul talks about in verse 18 about a future glory. That the present sufferings we're dealing with now are not to be compared with the future glory that we will experience. For some of us, the good isn't gonna be until we're in heaven, in some situations. When someone, a a beloved saint or, or somebody that loves Jesus gets sick and dies. You know the good in that for that person? They got to be with Jesus. It's still really, really good. That's the ultimate good. And so we have to let God define what the good is. Sometimes it's a miraculous healing. Sometimes it's a healing through chemotherapy. And sometimes it's going on to be with Jesus. All three of those are good. All three of them are good. We have to let God define the good in our situations. Because his word is true. He promises it's gonna be good, it's gonna be good. There's no doubt about it. And I love it because Paul, also in Romans 80, compares our suffering to birth pains. And I love that he used birth pains to compare it because Birth pains is one of those things that a woman will endure birth pains multiple times with multiple kids because she knows what's coming, because there's gonna be a future glory that's gonna be pretty awesome. I mean, I've seen, I saw it with my own wife, many of you have seen it too, where you know, the woman's nine months pregnant, and she's like, ha, ha, this is the last one. And then they have the baby and they're not even out of the hospital yet. I could do that again, right? Because when you finally see that baby, it's like, oh, this is pretty cool. And Paul compares it to it. That's birth pains. Like, you might be dealing with some suffering now. You might be nine months pregnant right now, but eventually you're gonna see something really great from it. And I love it. It's, it's birth pains, not death pains, okay? He's birthing things in us through the suffering we have to go through. And we can trust him. We don't have to live in fear. We can live trusting him in our life. Praise God. All right, third and finally, and I'll do this one quickly. The last choice we have to make is to be conquerors, or victims, conquerors or victims, another easy choice on the surface, but it can be tough, because it's easy to be a victim. It's actually celebrated right now in society too, to be a victim, anything happens, mm, be a victim, you might get something out of it. But as followers of Jesus, we're not, we're not victims, we're actually conquerors. How are we conquerors? Well, I'll read my, my last passage here out of Romans eight, verses 35 to 39. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That covers just about every kind of suffering that we could have, right? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Praise God. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God, what an incredible promise from our God. We thank the Lord for it. It's right there, nothing can separate us. So we're conquerors, because he is our conqueror and nothing can separate us from him. So we are conquerors with him, in him, because of what he did for us. This should be our number one priority in our life to have this perspective, that I am a conqueror in Jesus. That no matter what happens to me, nothing can separate me from him, and that's enough. If you get to the place where you know that that is enough for you, you'll never be a victim. I should say you'll never stay a victim if that's enough. And here's the beauty of it, church. When he says you're a conqueror, I'm a more than a conqueror, this is the only place in life where you get to choose to be a conqueror just by making a choice. Every other conqueror in the history of the world had to defeat armies and defeat everybody else coming against them to get up and sit on their throne and be considered a conqueror. We don't have to do that. All we have to to do is choose to surrender our life to Jesus and to his spirit in us, immediately we're conquerors because we're in him and he's the conqueror. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. And so we are conquerors by being in him. And if you notice in this verse, it doesn't say that there won't be any death that there won't be any demons, that there won't be any depth, that there won't be any sword, that there won't be any famine. It doesn't say you won't have those things, it just says those things, even if they come, cannot separate you from his love. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. So we are conquerors. We are complete and total conquerors. We do not have to live as victims. And I know we go through trauma in this life. Many of you have gone through incredible trauma that I can't even imagine going through. But that is one of the greatest perks of being a follower of Jesus is having his spirit in us that gives us a perspective that we could never have outside of that. That we could never even begin to understand when when a, a mother of a murdered child looks at her child's murder and says, I forgive you. That can only come from the spirit of God in us and having the perspective that he wants us to have. We don't have to live as victims because of the fact that we have the spirit of God living in us. But it's a choice we have to make. He doesn't force us to do any of those things. Once you have understanding, you choose to surrender your life to him. And the power of sin, the power of the flesh in our life is broken and it has to bow the knee to the power of the spirit of God in us when we choose that. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I'd like to pray for us this afternoon. I'd like to invite you to the altar to pray. I wanna pray for you. If you wanna... If anything, I'm not gonna even tell you why to respond. If anything in this message just touched your heart, if anything about the character of God touched your heart, I'd like to pray for you at the altar this morning. If you just need to recommit to surrender your life to him, to give him all that you are, to defeat the power of sin and the flesh inside of you, Thank you, Lord. We Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for your spirit today. Move among us right now. Have your way in our midst, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you today that we have an ally. We thank you that you stick closer than a brother and that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Lord, I thank you that you have defeated the power of the flesh, the power of the sin nature that's in us. It is completely Emasculated. It is completely defeated. It has no power over us. God, we thank you for your spirit in us today. Thank you for every one of us that has given our lives to Jesus, that we know that your spirit lives in us. God, we surrender who we are today to your spirit. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord. We are submitted to you. God, help us to reject the desires of the flesh, the desires that pull us away from you, God. Help us to choose you today, Lord. We choose you today. We choose you today, Lord. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Romans 8 that that assures us that there is no condemnation. God, I pray for each and every one of us, everyone under the sound of my voice, that where we have allowed condemnation to come into our lives, that spirit of religion that has come into our lives, Lord, we reject it today in the name of Jesus. We are condemned no more. We thank you that your word tells us there's not a little condemnation, there's not as much condemnation, but there is no condemnation for all of us who are in you, Lord, and that we do not have to live in that, in bondage to that, we don't have to live in fear, we don't have to live as victims, but we are free, we are conquerors, We are not in bondage, and we thank you for it, Lord. We give ourselves to you today, God. Would you let your spirit rule and reign in us, rule and reign in us, and help us to have the fortitude and the forethought to choose you. And Lord, when we choose unwisely, God, convict us quickly, draw us back. We thank you that you forgive, that your grace is, there's oceans of grace for us. God, we bless you, and we thank you for that today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts. Lord, I pray for anybody today under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, God. I pray that you would move on their heart right now, that no one would leave this place today not knowing that they know you, not knowing that they have given their life to you. that They can be called a Christian. I thank you today, Lord, that you've made it so simple to, to, to give our lives to you. The, the walk is not easy, but the process is simple that we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us. When we put our life in yours and trust you with our life, that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that we will be in eternity with you. God, help us, every one of us to walk that out in our life today. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your blessing. Thank you for showing up in this place today. It's for your glory, God. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Let's praise God one more time. Thank the Lord. Praise God. Mm. God is good.